The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 104.5 FM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and 107.7 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And lots of stuff going on in technology. I mean, there wasn't a big security breach this week, so that's, uh, that is one good thing. Uh, Microsoft has, re- has uh, released really a great little app that will make it look like you're looking at the webcam camera when you're on, a, uh, when you're on one of these video calls, uh-huh. which will make it, uh, it'll do that automatically no matter where you're looking. It's kind of a, of a clever application. Uh, AI is being used to post onto blogs. Pretty soon you're not going to be able to tell whether it's a real person or just a computer talking, and that's coming along fast. Artificial intelligence is now being used to predict hurricane strength. One of the big problems is they can predict the path, but they don't know what the strength will be when it hits landfall. That happened just recently when when they had an unexpected strength when it hit landfall down in Louisiana and now they're using AI to better to better uh, better adjust those models uh, and a bald eagle brought down a drone what oh man <laughs> we'll tell you how we'll tell you how that happened I'm glad it didn't work the other way around that's right now this week we are featuring the man who invented bluetooth communication Jacobus Cornelius Hartson, mm-hmm. and uh, he's a, he's a, an interesting guy. It's an interesting story of how this whole Bluetooth came along, and of course, it is a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Yeah, look who figured is how how to get back to the studio. Yes, indeed, we got yeah. an email from Phil in Chantilly. Dear Tech Talk, I've been a listener for over ten years and greatly appreciate the valuable information that's provided each week. Have you ever considered doing a profile of NIT, Dr. Richard Schertz? I believe you'll listen to be very interested here about your background and how Stratford came to be. Thanks for a great program. My question is this, is there an easy way to back up my iPhone to the OneDrive instead of to the iCloud? Phil and Chantelli. Well, Phil, I'll think about that profile ID. I'm not really sure about that, but I'll think about it. Now, as far as your your question here, there is no way to directly back up your iPhone to the OneDrive. Look, Apple makes money on the iCloud. They want to get you to buy iCloud storage. It's a revenue stream for them, and they don't want to give that up. So there's absolutely no way for you to do a direct backup to, to the OneDrive or to any other drive other than the iCloud. Now, you can, however, save files to the OneDrive. Like if you've got the Microsoft Word app, within the Microsoft Word app, you have the choice 
of saving files to different locations. And the OneDrive is one of those locations, but that's not a backup. That's you're just saving documents files that you've created there within that application. So specific applications can back up to the OneDrive. Like uh, if you've got Dropbox on your, uh, on your phone, you can back things up to Dropbox. So there are ways to back up documents to other drives, but not the main backup. Now, you, you have a choice on when you back up your iPhone. You can do it to the iCloud, or you can do it to your computer if you have iTunes. So you can back it up to your computer with iTunes, and then, and then your computer serves as the primary backup. At that point, once it's on your computer, you have the choice of backing up the entire iTunes subdirectory to OneDrive. So it's kind of a clunky workaround, but that would be a way to get the information on the OneDrive. Uh, we got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc, Jim, and the extraordinary Mr. Big Voice. I'm not sure what he's extraordinary at, but go ahead. I, I have no idea. Last week's show was fantastic as always. This was a show uh, three weeks ago. Uh, and uh, I'm glad to see that Mr. Big Voice is, uh, and, uh, is, is back in form and finally paying attention to Jim. I stumbled across this article, the most hilarious code comments ever, which reminded me about uh, so much uh, of the offbeat humor that programmers and IT people have. I attached it with one up with a handful of my favorites. All the best, Bob in Maryland. Well, that was a fun article to read, Bob. Uh, comments in code can be a real revelation. When I wrote wrote code, I always made certain to comment it because you know, a few years later, you don't re really remember your brilliant strategy that you had when you write the code. So comments really help. But the funniest. The funniest lines of code that, that, that I of comments that I saw, and I'll just in the in this article, it said at the top of the file, it said to understand recursion, see the bottom of this file. So then you go to the bottom of the file and it says the comment to understand recursion, see the top of the file. <laughs> and you simply go top to bottom, top to bottom, top to bottom, and you understand recursion. I thought that was uh, uh -huh. pretty pretty humorous. By the way, uh, Bob from Maryland uh, sent in a few more articles this uh, over this uh, last couple of weeks, and and I'm going to feature a few of those in the show today. We got an email from Arnie in Colorado Springs. Hi, Doctor Shirts. This article dovetails with your discussion on Tech Talk Radio. Uh, this article talks about um, the uh, Army's use of AI on the battlefield. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of other articles on AI as well, and I do agree with you that real privacy is non-existent non now that we've got all that data and all that AI analysis. Um, well, Arnie, that was a great article. It talks about, and I'm going to talk in some detail because it's, it's actually kind of indicates a major trend for AI. That talks about the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. It's called DARPA has issued a multi-year contract to Optima and its partner, partner Arizona, Arizona State University to develop a new generation of artificial intelligence that works with, learns from, and interacts with humans. This is different from commercial systems. This system uh, actually adapts to human input. 
And, and, you know, as always, the military has great acronyms. So they call it Adaptive Distributed Allocation of Probabilistic Tasks. And the, but the acronym for that is ADAPT. And that, of course, is exactly what the software does. It will assist commanders with decision-making by quickly doing, uh, by cr quickly crunching data in the fast-changing battlefield spaces and improve cooperation between human agents and AI. Now, ADAPT will be a significant step forward in human-AI collaboration so that warfighters and intelligent technology can reason and work together to make better, faster decisions than they could do on their own individually. This actually represents a long-term trend, I believe, where AI systems will augment human operators. I don't really see AI as a standalone system, but I think augmentation of humans is a great combination. We're going to see more and more of that. This is, a, I think, a long-term trend that's going to be active in many, many disciplines, just not on the battlefield. We got an email from Jacob in Annapolis. Dear Tech Talk, sometimes when I'm surfing the web, I want to search for something in a, on a particular website, and that website does not have a search box. Is there some way that I can search that site quickly without a search box? Love the show, Jacob and Alexandria. Well, Jacob, uh, built-in search tools on most websites do a horrible job, actually. You know, they write their own search code and they don't do the, they don't do a very good job. And it's hard to find exactly what you're looking for. And, um, you know, and they won't suggest uh, uh, pages that are similar to what you wanted, but not exactly what you asked for. Well, it turns out Google excels in that kind of search. And so it's actually easier to search the particular website with Google rather than the search tool that the website provided. Now, here's how you put in the commands to search a particular website using Google. For instance, if you'd want to search the Tech Talk site, which is techtalk.stratford.edu, you would, and you'd want to search for Steve Jobs. To see how many times I've mentioned Steve Jobs on the in the show, you would simply in the search go to Google and in the in the in the in the search box put in Steve Jobs and then space and then put site colon techtalk.stratford.edu and it will search only the Tech Talk site for every mention of Steve Jobs. I'm telling you, it is a fantastic search tool, and you can actually search any website, and you can get a much better search result with the Google search tool. In fact, the Google search engine is so effective for websites that many webmasters have replaced their built-in search boxes with a search tool that is provided by Google. So the box on the website is actually a Google search. That was a great question, by the way. We got an email from Alan in Manhattan. Dear Tech Talk, I've purchased a new solid-state drive, SSD, and I'd like uh, to clone it from the existing hard drive. Now, I've got them both installed in my computer. The, the new drive is two terabytes, and the old drive is one terabyte. I'd like to ensure that I can use all two terabytes on the new drive. What's an easy way to do this? 
And the problem he's encountering is that if he does an actual clone, it will clone the one terabyte onto the new drive, and he'll still only have one terabyte of space, and the second terabyte won't be used. So he doesn't want to have an exact clone. He wants to go from a one terabyte partition to a two terabyte partition and then clone all the data within the new within the new partition. Well, there's a very easy way to do this. There's a device, the, the Unitech USB mini dual bay hard drive docking station. It makes the, pro the, the process of cloning between two drives that are dissimilar in size very easy. Now, this device is only $34 on Amazon. Now, with this docking station duplicator powered off, and with the disconnected from the computer, you insert the source drive. That's the drive you want to copy from. And then you insert the target drive into slot two. Then you turn the device on, plug the device in, and you and they have a you click a clone button. You click the clone button, and it will automatically start the cloning process. And we'll do it without even without even being hooked up to a computer. It's, it's a standalone cloning device. Now, this device to do the cloning might take several hours, depends on how much data you have, anywhere from several minutes to several hours. And, uh, and it's, a very, uh, it's a very quick and easy way to do it. Now, this is also a docking station, so you could plug the USB drive into your computer and you could have two additional drives external hard drives in your computer and just use that as a docking station. But this is a really easy way to clone to clone from one hard drive to another. We got an email from Alicia in Baltimore. Dear Doc and Jim, my daughter lost her iPhone and we she had to wait until or well, lost her phone and she had to wait till she got paid before she could buy a new phone. So I let her borrow mine for a couple of days. After she bought herself a new phone, she gave me back mine, and I discovered that uh, that that she added her own Google account to my phone. My phone, by the way, is an Android phone. How can I remove my daughter's Google account from my phone? I can't figure it out, and she won't be back for two weeks to help me do it. Alicia in Baltimore. Well, it's easy to remove a second account from your Android phone. You just click on Settings. That's a little gear or the cog symbol. And then you scroll down to accounts and you tap on accounts. Now at this point, you should see your account and your daughter's account. Tap on your daughter's account and then just tap on remove account and follow the prompts as they appear. That's all there is to it. And your daughter's Google account should no longer be attached to your phone. We got an email from Grover in Kilmarnock, Virginia. Dear Tech Talk, my wife has accepted an offer from her employer to work remotely from home. She'll be setting up her office in a little small detached guest cottage that's just a few feet from our house. Our cable modem and router are in the living room. Since the cottage is separate from our living space, we do not have the ability just to run a long Ethernet cable over to the cottage. The cottage isn't on your property, is it, Doc? No, no it is not. No, it is not. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is not. Well, it would be nice to have a cottage on my property, but no. Yeah, I'd be over quite frequently if you did. You yeah, may not. You that's might right. think differently very shortly. That's right. So that, uh, yeah, that would be, uh, maybe this is a mother-in-law cottage was when mm -hmm. they set it up. That'd be fine but, for me. Yeah. 
But they, uh, and so uh, the, now the Wi-Fi signal in the cottage is too weak to be useful. What are my options? Well, uh, if the electricity in the cottage is provided by the same electrical circuit breaker that serves your home, and it's very likely, since it's so close to your home, it's very likely that, the, that you're using the same breaker box and just running the cable from your house to their house. If that case, you could use power line Wi-Fi extender. Now, what that does, that sends, it, it basically turns your power line into an Ethernet. It's basically Ethernet over power line. And so, essentially, you can, you can, get, the ether, you can get your Ethernet into the cabin quite easily. But since this is a power line Wi-Fi adapter, it then has its own Wi-Fi hotspot over there. So you will then have Wi-Fi in the cabin. It will be its own, you know, it'll, it'll have its own Wi-Fi, um, Wi-Fi um, emitter. So you'll have everything you need. So for instance, the Netgear power line, 100 megabit per second Wi-Fi gigabit port. It's a long mouthful. That uh, sells on Amazon for $89.99. And so if, if, these, if you've got one breaker and the, and the main breaker in the house services the cottage, this will work perfectly. Now, if the cottage has got its own electrical panel, that, that won't work. And then you've got a couple, a couple of other options. Uh, the least palatable option would be to just get a second internet connection for the cottage, which would cost you another 90 bucks a month. Or you might be able to try to um, use antennas to get the power into the cable, the Wi-Fi cable, and you could do Wi-Fi. So like if there are two windows that are attached close to each other, uh, that are very close to each other, you might be able to get a Wi-Fi uh, extender in your cottage and put it uh, up in the window and it might be able to pick up enough of the Wi-Fi power from the house and then amplify it and then retransmit it in the cottage. That's a little iffy, uh, it, de depending on where your router is in the house. And that's probably the least reliable. But I would try, if, if you don't, the power line doesn't work, I'd try that second. And then third, I'd just get another internet account with your service provider. Yeah. We got an email from Peter in Richmond. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm going on a camping trip and want to use my cell phone for pictures. However, I will not have, a, have electricity for charging my phone. What are my cheapest options? Love the show, Peter in Richmond. Well, Peter, you got a, you got a couple of, uh, of options. Uh, you could get the, uh, you could just take a power bank with you. Now, what I do, I've got a power bank. Uh, and it's uh, 25,000 milliamp hours, 25,000 milliamp hours. Uh, and say an iPhone 11 is about 3,100 milliamp hours. So this is good for about, this could charge my iPhone 11 about um, eight, eight or nine times. So if you think eight or nine charges would be adequate, you could just simply take a power bank with you. Or you could take two power banks sure. with you. So this, this Landluck portable charger that I have, this 25,000 milliamp hour is around, is around $25.95 on Amazon. And I've, I've gotten a lot of these units because this is very compact. So you could, take, you could take a couple of them with you. Now, by the way, if you start buying these portable chargers and you're going to go on an aircraft, the largest 
lithium battery that you can take on an aircraft is 20,000 milliamp hours. Ah, so, so you're in trouble there. Yeah, so the 25,000 milliamp hours is just a little bit over the limit. But mine looks so compact, it has the appearance of 20,000 milliamp hours. So I've never had a problem at the airport, well, but they, it's but it's just a little bit over it. the the limit. They'd have to look at it and read the, on the back what the what the milliamps are. I mean, you can't tell be, just from looking at it. Yeah, it, and this one is so compact, it looks smaller than 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 many of them. This is really a nice a nice unit. Mm -hmm. So that's one option. Now the second option, if you want to go solar. Now my, you know, my son does when he goes when he goes on his long bike trips, he goes solar and he just hangs his solar panel on his on the on his backpack as he's riding his bike. And when he's finished with the, you know, it's an eight-hour ride that day. When he's finished, everything's charged up. So you the uh, the one solar panel that works pretty well. My son has it is the Nectech 21 watt portable solar panel, and it can charge. Here's the problem. A 10,000 milliamp hour uh, power bank in two days. So it's, uh, you know, it's a slow charge. It so is. It, it's a, and that's uh, $55 on Amazon, but that's an option. And you can probably, you know, you know, you can charge your cell phone with that, but, but you know, it'll just take a while. Um, I, I actually have some experience with this because based on your, um, um, your review, which you actually recommended this product before, and we were, we went camping a couple weekends ago. So I went online and bought one of these, and it works really well with the cell phones. But you're right; I didn't realize. I mean, it's like a trickle charge for a power bank. I have a ten thousand milliamp power bank, which is a Belkin, which is a nice that they make good products. So, yeah. but it just takes forever. And the other issue is that it really has to be in direct sunlight to work fully because if it's in shade, it severely cuts back the amount of, of charging that's being done. In fact, I brought it with me this morning. If you're watching us on Motor Trend Network or uh, uh, Home and Garden, um, I have it spread out on the console here. And unfortunately, the window is southwest facing, and we now have a um, – uh, the, the, the panel is in the dark. When we started the show, full sun – and it was charging, but it is right on the edge right now, Doc. So if I if I tap the screen of my iPhone, the little battery icon in the top right, I've never mm -hmm. seen this happen before. I mean, it's so on the edge that it is toggling back and forth between black and green. Wow. And it's, I mean, that is how, you know, close it is to charging or not charging. I started when I plugged it in with 84% battery. It's actually discharged since I plugged this in about oh, five, 10 minutes ago. I'm down to 81%. So it's actually not even charging right now. It's still actually yeah. discharging. Yeah, you, you do have to be in direct sunlight for these solar solar panels to work. Yeah, but that then I, I ran across something else on Amazon when I was looking around. It's a combo. It's a portable power bank with a solar charger. That's combined. a great idea. And uh, it's a Tranmix solar charger, and it has a 25,000 milliamp hour portable power bank, and it's got four solar panels, and it's only $39, huh. which, which seems like a pretty good price. You get both. And it got pretty good reviews. I've not, I haven't tried it at all, but it seemed to get pretty good reviews, and it looks, looks intriguing. And, you know, so, but, but if, you're in, if you're in direct sun, it really worked for my son on his bike trips. Yeah. Especially when, you know, especially when, the, when he's riding away from the sun. And, 
you know, and so he, he, he likes it, likes it a lot, but, but he tried, but you do have to keep it in direct sunlight or you're not going to make it. I, fa- I found that, well, you know, I, I had this thing sitting out in, in the campsite and we was trying to charge the power bank and I put it out direct sunlight. I mean, I was laying it in the, in the dirt, in the middle of the area where there are no trees. I'd look over direct sun, look back. It's in the shade. I'd move it again. And I just kept moving this thing around all day, and it really didn't it, – it worked fine for the cell phones, but for the power bank, not so great. But you know what? I, there is now a, a new version. There's a 28-watt neck tech, uh, which looks like it is a fourth – yeah, it's got a fourth panel on it. Oh. So I wonder if that might if that that might, might be more efficient, and it's only five dollars more. It's fifty nine ninety nine as opposed to fifty five ninety nine. Yeah, that would be worth it. I and think then, that would be uh, that would be worth it. I'm also, well, listen, we yeah. we love your emails. Yes, uh, email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get, get back to you as soon as we can. It is Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk on Federal News Network, fifteen hundred AM, one hundred three five FM HD two, one hundred three nine FM HD two, one hundred seven seven FM HD two and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. It's technology. It's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Where did he go? There he is. Very good. He was out in the hallway. In IT. I had, to gra- I had to grab him by the uh, the collar. Let's get you the full Monty here. Profiles okay. in IT. There you go. There we go. Today we're going to feature Jacobus Cornelius Hartson. He's a Dutch electrical engineer, and he is best known as father of Bluetooth communication. Now, his friends called him Jop, J-A-A-P. Jop Hartson was born... February 13, 1963, in The Hague, Netherlands. In 1986, he got a master's in electrical engineering with, with honors from Delft University of Technology. Then he worked briefly uh, for Simmons, Siemens in The Hague and Philips in Eindhoven. In 1990, he got his 
PhD in electrical engineering from Delft University of Technology with honors. His thesis was with programmable filters in silicon using surface acoustic wave devices. In 1991, he was hired by Ericsson to work in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. And he worked there for a while, for a couple years actually. And then Ericsson transferred him to Sweden in 1993. He was transferred to the Ericsson Mobile Terminal Division in Lund, Sweden. Now, when he got to his job there in Sweden, his task was to find solutions for short-range radio connections to enrich the mobile phone functionality. Short range, that would be three meters to four meters. Uh, you know, or those of us that more within the feet, that would be nine feet to uh, uh, 12 feet. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> I just want to, you know, and those of you that don't know the meter to the foot conversion. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't have that handy. <laughs> now, cost and power were the driving factors because, you know, you can't have these peripheral devices, you know, using a lot of power. The batteries will go dead very quickly. Now, it was going to be used in a frequency band that was shared by everybody else. It's the, it's the frequency band that was uh, for unlicensed applications, and it was 2.45 gigahertz. I mean, Wi-Fi works in that band. A lot of medical devices work. There are just a lot of devices working at 2.45 gigahertz in that band. So in order to eliminate the problem of interference with other applications operating in the same band, he used frequency hopping, where it would be at one frequency, and if that frequency was kind of noisy, it would hop to another one and hop to another one. And by using frequency hopping, it could, it could actually land on frequencies that did not have interference. And it would hop around 79 frequencies within that band, within that 2.45 gigahertz band. It would, op would hop on between 79 frequencies, and it would hop 1,600 times a second. So it was hopping at a pretty quick rate. Now, Dr. Hartson, or Jop, worked initially alone he was because uh, he, he had been working on this frequency hopping protocol for a while as kind of a side project. So when they asked him to do it, he could just continue work that he'd, that he'd already been that he'd already been working on. He he. Uh, but then once this thing began getting ahead of steam, they they quickly built a team. In 1995, he was joined by Sven Madison uh, as the number the second guy on the team. And then shortly thereafter, he had 30 people on the team because Ericsson wanted to push this product to commercialization and launch as quickly as possible. Now, the name of the initial uh, development phase, it was called the Multi-Communicator Link, MC-Link. Mm -hmm. They called it the MC-Link, the Multi-Communicator Link. But, uh, and by 1997, the team had a workable solution for the MC-Link. And Ericsson realized, though, that if they wanted this technology to take off and to be adopted industry-wide, that they would have to form a group, a standards group, that could standardize it, that they could share. This is, this is how technology companies co cooperate 
in order to achieve more by creating standards groups. So in 1998, they formed a special interest group. They called them SIGs, S-I-G, a special interest group uh, that dealt with this multi-channel communication. And uh, the initial founding members were Ericsson, of course, a cell phone company, Nokia, a cell phone company, Intel, who wanted to put Bluetooth on their laptops and also make chips for cell phone, Toshiba, that's also wanted to make chips as well as put Bluetooth in their laptop. And finally, the uh, and as well as Intel was the final member of the team. Intel was selected to be the lead because uh, I think the group felt that they could be viewed as more of a, uh, of, of a fair arbiter as they were trying to negotiate standards. Because what happens in these special interest groups when you negotiate, like Ericsson shows up with their standard, that, and they've already built it, and they want the group to accept their standard. But Toshiba might have a slightly different device, and they want to accept theirs. And so you end up having to compromise and pick the standard that is best overall, and that requires usually an arbiter who can deal with it even-handedly. Now, Jim Kardashian, who represented Intel, and, and, and of course, Intel was the lead, he said, you know, this multi-communicator link is not really a very good name. We're not going to be able to, you know, explain it very well. And he said, uh, what we're looking at here, we got a communication channel that's going to unify everything together under one standard. We're going to unify the way all these devices talk with each other. So it turned out that he had just been reading a book on the Vikings. And he had just been reading about the king who, um, who, who had actually united Denmark. And his name was Harold Bluetooth. Ah, He was a 10th century Spanish a Danish king. And so he said, why don't we name this technology Bluetooth? Because it will unite devices just like Harold Bluetooth united <laughs> Denmark. Right. So they said, okay, not a bad idea. And the symbol for Bluetooth is actually based on his initials. And so the Bluetooth SIG was officially formed. And now the second step you do whenever you're trying to launch a technology is you have to handle the patents. So Ericsson, and actually uh, Jacob Hartson, he had five of the key, five of the foundational patents for Bluetooth. So each of the companies that is a member of the SIG, they donate their patents to the SIG, to the, to the, uh, to the SIG, to the special interest group. So anybody who's a member of the special interest group has use of those patents without paying a royalty. And that allows for cooperation and it allows for the launch of a new technology. And they, they handle that quite well. So this is, uh, and so the Bluetooth SIG, they actually define the standard. They license the manufacturer of products that meet the standard. So if, if you buy a product and it's got a Bluetooth symbol on it, it means that the Bluetooth SIG has evaluated the product and they've approved it as being in conformance to the actual standard. And then after the devices are made, 
they test the devices for compliance to the standard. Now, now Hartson, he of course had the five foundational patents for the for this for the Bluetooth SIG, but Dr. Hartson has over 200 patents overall. And um, it and so in 1999, this was the year one year after the special interest group was formed. Bluetooth 1.0 was released. In 2000, the first mobile phones with Bluetooth appeared, as did the first PC cards and the first prototype Bluetooth mice, Bluetooth keyboards, and USB Bluetooth dongles. In 2001, the first Bluetooth printer was released. The first Bluetooth laptop was released. The first Bluetooth car kits were introduced. So you can see this was penetrating the marketplace because they had standardized it properly. In 2011, the SIG, the Special Interest Group, had 15,000 member firms, and Bluetooth 4.0 was released. Now, by the way, we are now up to Bluetooth 5.0, and most of the old devices that we have out there are Bluetooth 4.2. The big breakthrough with Bluetooth 5.0 is that it allows you to have two simultaneous audio streams. So you could hook two Bluetooth headsets to the same Bluetooth transmitter, and both headsets could receive audio. Before Bluetooth 5, you could only have one audio stream per uh, Bluetooth radio. And also, the Bluetooth 5.0 is much faster and has much longer range. In 2010, uh, Jacobus became the chief technology officer for Tonalite. That's a company that creates, well, as you'd expect, wireless products. Of course. In 2012... Tonalite was purchased by Plantronics, and uh, and then Plantronics made him made uh, made Jop a senior expert in wireless systems. In 2015, he was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame, and he's still he's still working for Plantronics. They're working on wireless devices. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Jacobus Cornelius Hartson the father of Bluetooth communication. Hope you're paying attention because coming up is your chance to win free lunch from uh, playing the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County at 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because you can virtually sit down now. Yes. They are actually sitting down. I'm watching it. Okay. Very good. So earlier in the show, of course, uh, you know, we had a great. A great session. And you might have thought it was a radio show, but might actually have. it's a classroom of the airwaves. Oh, right. And that means that we have to test whether the class has been learning in the classroom. And we do that with the pop quiz. You get the right answer to the pop quiz, you get A plus for today's show, plus you'll win tickets to fine dining to one of our dining rooms uh, as soon as they open up after the pandemic. The uh, early in the show, I talked about Jacobus Cornelius Hartz, and he, of course, is best known as father of Bluetooth communication. Where did the name Bluetooth come from? There you go. If you know the answer to today's question, get on the phone and get in line to play the pop quiz. Dial us now. If you're calling from Western Rocky, it's 877-936-9333. If you're standing next to a mountain-high pile of oyster shells in Playa del Shirts, Virginia... It's 877-936-9333. If your teeth are turning blue in Canada, call us on the wildcard line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's sanitized on the half hour. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. There you go. What? Okay, thank you. For, I thought I'd talk about it. A technology that I've got down here at the Bay House. Okay. I just got a green light to put in the water beside the dock. It's an arc lamp that's down on the bottom, a 250-watt arc lamp. And I put it about uh, 15 feet off the dock. And it turns on at night. And then it attracts minnows that circle around. And then pretty soon... Big fish come in to eat those minnows. Pretty soon, bigger fish come in to eat those minnows. Until finally, I've got a whole seafood buffet right out there beside my dock. Or a shark. Or shark. I haven't seen sharks yet. But here's the amazing thing. This morning, I, you know, my 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 um, green light was on. I finished preparing Tech Talk at 5 a.m. It was still dark. The green light was still on. I went out to my dock. I caught five fish in 30 minutes. I mean, and they're all and they're all about two pounds. I mean, two pounds or larger. So you caught them? 
Yeah, with a fishing rod. Yeah. Wow. I just fish with minnow. I, I just actually, it's artificial bait. It looks like a minnow. Yeah. So what I'm I'm getting here striped bass, which some people call rockfish. Yeah. I'm I'm getting here uh, puppy drum, which are small red drum fish, and I'm also and I've also got a spotted uh, a speckled trout. That's what I'm picking, and they're and I'm they're all about two 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 and a half pound fish. Are they? Uh, is this dinner? Yeah, this will be dinner. I we're mean, have what, the, uh, you know, I just I just have to get Marianne to clean them, and then and then and then we're going to be good to go. Oh, so it turns it yeah. turns out it's easier to catch the fish than it is to clean them. So yeah, so <laughs> Marianne gets to clean them. How nice! We have uh, the Gordons of Gloucester fishermen on the line here, and uh, so we'll have fish sticks down at the the Bay House tonight. How nice! That's right. So this this tech it's really interesting. You can also get green LEDs. But the green LEDs are not hot. So if you leave them in the water, barnacles completely coat the LED light. So you have to take it out all the time. But with this arc lamp, because it gets so hot, it burns the barnacles off. So barnacles don't stick to the arc lamp. And so I can, the, just leave, I can just leave it in the water and it burns every night. Why yeah. does the green light attract fish? Uh, I don't know. But it does. They, they just love it. They just circle around it. Now, I would have thought you would have had this hooked us up to some sort of solar detection thing that would turn it off when the when the daylight comes out. It does. It auto. It oh, turns it does on automatically. Yeah, it's it's on it's on a solar cell and it turns on and off automatically. Ah, gotcha. So, but it is amazing. As soon as you know, I go out there and it turns on in the evening. You'll see the minnows come first, and within half an hour, you just see the big fish circling, and there and and a lot of the, there's some really big fish down a little bit deeper. And, and and you can see their shadow as they go over the the lamp. You you sort of see the shadow projected mm -hmm. on this thing. So that's my latest fish technology. That's that's really interesting. All right, we've got somebody who would like to play the game okay. on the line here. Let's go to line two. Ah, line two. This is uh, MC calling us from Silver Spring. MC, you there? Yes, this is MC Hi with there. Remax Real Estate in Silver Spring. Okay, good to know. Very good. Uh, so, Doc, go ahead and ask the question. Yeah, so early in the show I talked about Jacobus Cornelius Hartson, known as the father of Bluetooth. Where did the Bluetooth name come from? From the Danish king, Harold Bluetooth. Excellent. Correct. Very good. Hang on a second, Correct MC. Mundo. Look at that. Correct answers and all your real estate needs handled in one call. <laughs> you can send MC back to Andrew. It's Saturday morning. This is Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn about all the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Observations from the bunker. Boy. You've had two weeks. You've had two weeks to fix the door. Two weeks to fix the door, and, it's still and a mess. I haven't done it. I haven't done it anything to that door. I know. Maybe you should hang a green light on it. I just hope the door fish. doesn't permanently lock me in the bunker. Uh, That's my hope. I hope not either, because we need fish. By the way, if you have any leftovers, freeze them for me. Would you mind? Okay, I'll I'll work on that. And I'm working on this green light thing. I want to know why green lights bring fish around. Okay, you you can check on okay. that. Okay. So the, so the last two weeks uh, I've been off because we had graduation ceremonies at Stratford University. We had the one in two weeks ago, we had uh, one in Virginia. And then a week ago, we had one in, uh, in uh, Maryland, in Baltimore. And I always get nostalgic during graduations. I give commencement addresses at these events. And, uh, you know, I see the kids, young adults, they're not kids, young adults, uh, and they have uh, graduated and achieved so much that it just warms my heart. But I was in Baltimore this last preparing for the talk uh, last uh, week, actually. And I, and I actually threw out the talk that I originally prepared because I started thinking about a meeting that I'd had with Elijah Cummings. Elijah was very uh, uh, was from Baltimore and uh, he was a real firebrand. Yeah. And you'd see him on TV just as a firebrand. But he was completely different in person. So I went in to, to meet Elijah about two years ago. And uh, they had originally scheduled five minutes for the meeting. And, uh, you know, you're sort of your typical photo op kind of thing. And um, uh, we started talking about education. And it was the most fascinating conversation because Elijah Cummings believed that the real hope for Baltimore was in the youth and was with education. And he thought we had to focus on education. And I know Elijah would not be happy with these riots now because he he was in he actually followed in the footsteps of Martin Luther King on the, uh, you know, the you know, the nonviolent protests. And of course, Martin Luther King followed in the, in the footsteps of Mahatma Gandhi in, from India in nonviolent protests. And uh, Elijah died last year, October 17th, 2019, at age 68, far too young. Had, had he not died last year, he'd have been the commencement speaker at our graduation in Baltimore. Mm. So that's why I was thinking about him. So Elijah Cummings was born January 18, 1951 in Baltimore. His parent, his dad was a sharecropper. And his dad had lived in the Deep South 
And before he, they started having children, he decided he was going to move to Baltimore because he wanted good educational opportunities for his children in Baltimore. So he moved to Baltimore, left the Deep South for education. Elijah was the third of seven children uh, born to his parents there in Baltimore. And his dad instilled in Elijah the importance of getting a good education. Now, Elijah was a firebrand even at age 11. At age 11, he went to a, a, a swimming pool in southern Baltimore City, and he actually protested and got that swimming pool integrated at age 11. He was already doing that. He graduated from Baltimore City High School with honors. He attended Howard University, and ultimately he got a law degree from University of Maryland in 1976. Then he practiced law for 19 years before he went, became a state delegate, and then shortly thereafter he became a, a, a representative in the U.S. Congress. Now, he thought, and this is this is, and this meeting, which started out five minutes and went to two hours long, mm. because we started talking. Okay, what what do the youth really need? What 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 does education have to give them? And so we we sort of were talking about it, and he thought the first and foremost they had to have a growth mindset where they believe in themselves. They would um, believe that they could do something. They wouldn't fear failure. And you can only do that by by letting them accomplish things. And he thought, and he thought education needs to do that. He, he felt communication skills are the key, writing, speaking, critical thinking skills. And we talked a bit about leadership and uh, how you teach leadership to uh, to uh, to students. And and I just you know I'd been influenced by our campus in New Delhi, India, and in India, mindfulness and Meditation are really uh, at the forefront there. And mindfulness is the key to leadership. Uh, somebody who's mindful, who can feel their own emotions, can feel what others need, and they can become a mindful leader. So we talked about mindful, mindful leadership. And the last thing we talked about, which has also influenced my influence from our campus in New Delhi, was happiness. We thought, we thought that, that education should teach people students how to be happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really peculiar. We, we don't talk about that. You know, you just, and so we, uh, and so it turns out that many times people have the wrong goals. I mean, if your goal is to be rich and have a lot of money, you'll actually never be happy because some happy because somebody's going to have more money than you. Or if your goal is to have a big house, somebody will always have a bigger house and you, you won't be happy. And that the only way to have true happiness is to give to others and that the school should should sort of communicate that to the students. So we were sitting there talking about a roadmap for creating a, an educational program in Baltimore that could really create the kind of leaders that Baltimore needs for the future. I um, uh, just became very nostalgic because I wish Elijah Cummings uh, would have hung around a little longer because I think we could have made a real difference there working together in Baltimore. And, you know, we, we had another conversation. I mean, Elijah and I are on different sides of the aisle, but when it came to the youth of Baltimore, there was no light between us. And so I said, why, why can't you guys in Congress get along like we're getting along? Yeah, it seems like if you, if you, if you get rid of the politics and focus on the problem, you're going to find common areas. 
he said, uh, he said, Rick, you're right. We should do more of this. So that's my observations from the bunker. Sorry about getting a little nostalgic on that. I think that was very interesting. Hey, the research desk, desk is checked back. Okay. Green okay. light. What did you find out? Uh, it, it turns out that zooplankton respond differently to na- different wavelengths and intensities, and they tend, tend to swim down to avoid bright light wavelengths less than 5,000 angstroms. They swim upward in response to lights with a wavelength of more than 5,000 angstroms. Green, red, yellow, orange, and white. Green is the most effective, and that is uh, why uh, this works, because the zooplankton come, then the minnows, and so on and so forth, before you have the Loch Ness Monster. But, you know, it's ah, funny. When I was a kid, good. when my uncle had a boat, there were dock lights. And at night, we would find that the fish we were all hanging around the dock. And that seems to be why. Now, that wh- would be it, yeah. Why do they respond to green light? We don't know because zooplankton can't talk. The plankton can't talk. That's so right. you can also buy, you can get LED uh, lights for your boat that will hook onto the battery. I saw so that, you can, yes. So, so you can throw an LED light off, out, uh, off the side of the boat. And do fishing. I'm telling you, it works yeah. really well. Apparently, fishing boats are doing this to attract fish to the boat. Oh, they. Oh, I see. And then they, they. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because those green lights really do, really do work. Now, I mean, in uh, I've had the light working for six days, and in f- six days, I've caught 35 fish. I think you found a new industry. I found a new industry. Shirts, and, shirts, seafood. Yeah, but you know the problem is. Cleaning the fish is the issue, is what I've discovered. I know it's it's it's, it's <laughs> difficult. It's not, it's not fun. No, not at all. It is it is not fun. All right, we're so running out of time, so uh, I think we got time for one more topic here, and then we're okay. Gonna... Let's talk the idea of the week: AI that improves eye contact during video calls. Now, this was suggested by Bob in Maryland. Microsoft Surface Pro has a new AI feature that will actually look at your eye. It will change the direction that your eye is looking and make it appear as though you are looking directly into the camera. And this is particularly good on these Zoom video calls. When you are looking at the screen or reading something, you can make it look like you're looking directly at the audience. Now, the eye contact feature arrives with the latest firmware update for the Surface Pro, which is now rolling out. I'm telling you, I think this is a great idea. It works not only with 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 Microsoft's own video apps, but it works with Skype and also with Zoom. So I think that's really a great feature. I'm anxious to get that on my computer. Listen, we love all your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Also, check us check out www.stratford.edu. Check out all of our programs there, whether it be in health science, IT, culinary arts, hospitality, or business, and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.